Loving Father, we are grateful. We thank you again for the privilege to come together as a family to study your words of truth. We commit ourselves into your hands. We pray that you'll please take our lives and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. We ask, Father, that you would do something special. Give us a glimpse of what your heart's desire is for each and every one of us as gospel medical missionary evangelists. I pray that you might make your words plain to us and may it minister to our hearts and open our eyes and help us behold wondrous things out of your law. And we ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. We were studying earlier about the importance of looking at what Christ is really waiting for. What did we learn that Jesus is waiting for that he might come? He's waiting for fruit. He's waiting to see the fruit. And he doesn't just want to see the fruit. He wants to see it how, Daniel? He wants to see it ripe. You understand that? He wants to see ripe fruit. We understood that that fruit represented what? What did that fruit represent? The very what? It was the very character of Christ himself. You understand that? The purpose of that fruit is so that it could provide seed to the sower and also it can benefit those who eat from the branch. And so it is that God wants us to reflect the image of Jesus. And again, there are many ways that we can talk about the reflection of the image of Jesus. We're going to do that in just a moment, in fact. But we looked at a very important way to reflect the image of Christ. We saw that if there's ever a need for a demonstration of the character of Christ, it is especially and not how we deal with our friends, but how we deal with our what? Our enemies. And we saw the risk that heaven was willing to take to minister to God's enemies with the hope that they would become his friends. And so it is that God tells us that when we enter into this work, it's going to require a risk as well. We're going to have to be willing to make ourselves vulnerable. And the first place that we demonstrate this vulnerability, this love and joy and peace, where's the first place we are to represent that? It's in the home. And then from the home, what comes next? The neighbors. And then after the neighbors comes the church. And from the church, we go to the world. Go ye into all the world. Give that wonderful gospel message, both by precept and example. I have a question for you. When you begin to bear fruit, when you begin to bear fruit, what do you think God wants from you after that? When you begin to bear fruit, what do you think God wants from you after that? You're bearing fruit now. Praise the Lord. Congratulations. What do you think he wants from you after you start bearing fruit? Sharing the fruit? That's one answer. Any other answers? Say again. Help others bear fruit. That's true. Anything else? Abiding in him. Okay. Give me one more. Say it loud. All right. Go to John, the 15th chapter, please. In John, the 15th chapter, I'm going to show you what God wants when you begin to bear fruit. This is going to be a very important study, and it's going to give some perspective to all of us. 
John, the 15th chapter, and when you get there, just let me know by saying amen. I heard it being said from the back, even though his soft voice was probably not projecting as much as I wanted him to. But let's look at John 15, and notice what it says in verse 1. I am the true what? Vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh it away. Let's stop right there. Who's the vine? Jesus. Who's the husbandman? The father. Who's the branch? Us. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does God do with it? He gets rid of it. Now, look at what it says next. Now, after every branch that does not bear fruit, he gets rid of it. It then says, and every branch. How many branches? Every branch that bears fruit, what does God do? He purges it, and why does he purge it? So when you begin bearing fruit, what does God want? He wants more fruit. You understand that? When we begin bearing fruit, the answer was correct. When we begin to bear fruit, what God wants is he wants more fruit. But what's the process that he gets more fruit? He has to purge it. He has to purge it. What does it mean to purge? Talk to me. What does it mean to purge? Purify. Anything else? To prune or cut away or cut at. To prune. Obviously, if we're a gardener, then you know, I mean, I would imagine that if you're a gardener, farmer, whichever one you call yourself, then obviously when you think about purging, you think about pruning and you're kind of hitting on the graft of that tree or whatever it may is or whatever it may be, and the whole goal is to get it to bear more fruit. Now, this is true. But the word purge is better explained in verse 3. So in verse 3, it says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The word purge means cleanse. That's what the word purge means. The word, to purge something is to cleanse something. You understand that? So that means that every branch that bears fruit, what's God going to do? He's going to cleanse it. Now, why would God cleanse a branch that's already bearing fruit? What is the only thing that we know that Christ wants to cleanse us from? Sin. You understand that? It's kind of like this. When we begin bearing the fruit of Christ's character, when we begin to bear the fruit that God has called us to bear, God is pleased. But God also sees more than what we see. And God is not satisfied until we're fully ripe. And so what he's going to allow is he's going to allow some things to happen that's designed to show us our need for cleansing. Now, what's the cleansing agent, according to verse 3? It's the Word. So the Word is going to cleanse us, okay? So what we're looking at here is that God says, when your life is bearing fruit, he says, I'm going to go ahead and allow some things to happen that's going to help you see your need for cleansing, and the agent I'm going to use to clean you is my Word. The only thing that God cleanses is sin. 
It's kind of like Isaiah. Go to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Watch, watch how God did this. When you go to Isaiah 6, you'll notice that in Isaiah chapters 1 to 5, eight times Isaiah says the word woe. Eight times. From Isaiah chapter 1 to Isaiah chapter 5, you will find that Isaiah will say, woe, woe to the people. It was not woe to himself, but it was woe to the people. Yeah, he called out their sins and showed them their wrongdoings and so on. And Isaiah did his job very well, you would imagine. But when Isaiah 6 kicks in, let's look, let's look at how the verse starts. It says, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled where? So he's beholding God in the sanctuary. And as he's beholding the glory of God in the sanctuary, it has an impact on him. So it says in verse 2, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, what? Woe is me. Now, what made Isaiah say, woe is me? He saw his unrighteousness. Okay, anything else? He saw the holiness of God. And the holiness of God will very quickly help us discern and see how ungodly we are. You understand that? Okay, so he sees the holiness of God. As a result of seeing the holiness of God, he sees the deficiencies in himself. This is why it's so important for us not to compare ourselves among ourselves. As long as we keep doing that, we'll always have a reason to call ourselves holy. We'll always have a reason to call ourselves great and so on because we're always doing better than somebody. And that can become an occasion for us to think a bit more of ourselves than we should. God says, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of your faith, because Jesus will always give you a faithful assessment of yourself. You understand that? All right, so Isaiah is now beholding God. So now he says, woe is me. And look at what he says here. Woe is me because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he's no longer just looking at Israel as unclean. He sees now himself unclean, but it came as a result of beholding God. You understand that? Simple enough. Now, verses 6 and 7 could be a bit troubling. In verses 6 and 7, it says, then. Now, you know then means after this. That means before this, whatever the then is that we're about to read, it didn't happen. You understand that? So now, after these things happen, then, let's find out what happened. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. And how does the verse finish? And thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is? Isaiah, if you read chapter, especially Isaiah 5, 
Isaiah 5, man, Isaiah was going on. Isaiah said, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. Woe to you who call light for darkness and light and darkness for light. I mean, Isaiah knew how to woe people out. And Isaiah, I would imagine, appeared like a very fruitful branch. Didn't he? I mean, if you study Isaiah 1, and you take that thing down, the word of the Lord comes to the mouth of Isaiah. And Isaiah goes to the people and he says, look at you, look at you. And he begins to talk about their terrible spiritual condition. Your whole head is sick and your whole heart is faint. Isaiah was bearing fruit. He was bearing fruit. But while Isaiah was doing the work of the master, Isaiah didn't even see that there were sins that were still dominant in his life. And God said, Isaiah needs a vision. And so it is that as Isaiah was bearing fruit, God got his attention and helped him see his glory. And through seeing that Isaiah had a clearer discernment of his own deficiencies and weaknesses, and when he saw it and said, woe is me, because I'm a man undone, and I'm in the midst of a people that are undone. Now it's not you guys are messed up, it's we are messed up. And when Isaiah sees this, now Isaiah is prepared to have his sins purged. God was able to cleanse him. And so the Lord says in verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And you know what's deep? Isaiah sure did bear some more fruit. God wants you and I to understand that you're doing good works, family. As an organization, Wildwood, you're doing good. But God says, I want more fruit. He's not just saying it to Wildwood, he's saying it to Meat Ministry. He's saying it to UT Prines. He's saying it to Living Waters. He's saying it to every organization that is representing his name. He's saying to each and every one of these institutions, to those who are running it and governing it and working for it, et cetera, he's saying, you're doing a good job, but I want more fruit. He's saying it to each and every one of you as missionaries. I, he says, listen, you have done well. You came, you sacrificed, you sold your house, and you got rid of your jobs, and you've done all sorts of steps. You came off of the instructions of your mother, and you didn't even know where you were going. God says, I love you. God says, you don't understand how much I love you. God says, well done. You're doing good. You're bearing fruit. But God says, but I'm not satisfied yet. God says, I want more fruit. And so when God wants more fruit, you have to understand, every branch that bears fruit, he's going to need to purge us. And there are times where God is going to allow things and allow circumstances to come up in your life that for the moment it will appear very, very grim. But God says, if you hang in there, all I'm doing is I'm bringing you out so that you can bear even more fruit in the end. And we need it. You know, brothers and sisters, when I was getting ready to go through that surgery, I'm telling you, I was scared. I was scared. I asked all sorts of questions. And it's amazing how negative the mind can get. 
you know, I remember asking the doctor, I said, listen, how, what's the percentage of people that make it through these type of open heart surgeries? Oh, Dwayne, he said, uh, you know, 95% of people uh, make it through just fine. 5% that don't. He said, but you? He said, because of your lifestyle? He said, we'll probably bump that up to 98%. So that's what, that's what he said. He said, you know, based on your lifestyle, when Dr. Hilliard did an angiogram and he ran that wire through my arm and I'm feeling the thing go up my shoulder, and the next thing you know, I feel my heart fluttering. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, oh, that's just me tickling your heart. That's what he said. Big old screen in the surgical room, and I'm watching my heart and all this stuff, and he's, you know, he put that stuff inside of me so they could see all my arteries. Then he sees all my arteries, and after a few minutes, he's done. He's like, zoop, zoop, zoop. you know, he takes the wire out, and I feel like zoop, going down my arm, coming back out. Dr. Hilliard says, man, he said, Dwayne, you have arteries like a 20-year-old athlete. I said, really? He said, yep. He said, you're going to skate through this surgery. That's what he said. And I remember they would say, oh, Dwayne, 98% chance. But you know what I heard? I heard 2% chance you might die. <laughs> That's all I heard. You see how negative the mind can go? I mean, if you were to do an investment and, and somebody said, there's a 98% chance you're going to double your money. You know, a lot of us would be like, man, 98%, that's a good investment. Let me go, let me go for that. Here it is, that brother said 90, I was like, 2% chance I might die. And that, that's all my focus was on, that 2%. But the lessons that I have learned, priceless. The lessons that I have learned, I have had, I mean, so many people called and prayed. Brother Lemon, this one's not unto death. God has something he wants to show you. That man I told you about earlier, Thomas Jackson, he said, son, he said, listen, God is allowing you to go through a setback so he can set you up for a comeback. And it was very hard for me to believe that at the time because I just allowed my mind to go negative. This is why that chapter, Mind Cure, in Ministry Healing, very important chapter. Very important chapter. Nine-tenths of diseases have their foundation in the mind. As institutes, we need to put forth a larger effort in dealing with the mind before we get all into the body and treatments and all that other stuff because depending on where your head is at will determine how well those treatments work. And I thank God that I heard an awesome testimony that you know Wildwood has given a, a very strong focus uh, dealing with the mind. And I praise the Lord for that. That's a blessing. God has gotten me to a place that now I can say, thank the Lord Jesus Christ for my open heart surgery. I could really thank him for it now. Because what I have learned, I know, has brought me to, from death unto life. God will allow many of us to go through different things. I don't know exactly what it is that he'll let you go through, and I certainly pray it's not what I had to go through. But when you go through your trial, always remember that trials don't change people. You do understand that. Amen? Trials do not change people. Trials simply reveal what's in us. That's what trials do. You can write it down if you're taking notes. Messages to young people, page 117. It says, the trials of life are God's workmen. 
showing unto us the roughness and impurity of our own characters. That's what trials do. They show, they show us who we really are. Okay? That's what the trials of life do. But when the trial comes, where do you think God wants you to go? Be specific. Where does God want you to go? You read it. He wants you to go to the word. Very good. When you got a trial in your home, you need to go to the word and go back to what does it mean to be a godly husband? What does it mean to be a godly man? What does it mean to be a godly wife? What does it mean to be a godly woman? The reason why is because these trials are existing to show us something. They're designed to help us see the defect. But you can't see the defect unless you're using the proper lens. So you got to go to the word and let the word of God show you and I who we really are, but more importantly, show us the solution to who we really are. If a person gets sick, go to the word. Let the word of God guide you. And if you find, okay, I am sick right now, first thing I'm going to do is search the word and I'm going to look to the word to see where have I potentially violated the word of God. If I have violated the word of God, then the Bible says you need to repent and you need to go back to your first works and do what's right. And if you and I repent, go back to our first works and do what's right, and we begin to keep those laws of health, and we begin to do the things God has called us to do, you will find that many a times disease can be reversed. Now, I've said this a thousand times, and I'm going to keep saying it until we get it. How many of you were like, you know, my brother said, uh, raising $3,712, want to get that money? Would you like to have that money right now? Where you at? Would you like to have that money right? Would you like $5,000 to go to Wildwood right now for those missions? Okay. That check will be written. I didn't say who write it. But that check will be written if you could do one thing. Prove from the Bible, prove from the spirit of prophecy that the laws of health are eight. $4,000 check right now. If you could just show where in the Bible, where in the spirit of prophecy are the laws of health eight. Where'd you get that from? Now, don't get me wrong. I understand the accommodation of acronyms. New START. N-E-W-S-T-A-R-T. So therefore, the new start is eight letters. So therefore, we say eight laws of health. I get that. I understand God's plan. G-O-D-S-P-L-A-N. Again, Eight letters, eight laws of health. That's fine and dandy, but that's all human. Show me from divinity, the Bible. Show me from divinity, the spirit of prophecy, that God limits his laws of health to eight. You'll get a $4,000 check before the sun sets. Now, you know our brother had to do his research in order to make such a, an offering. <laughs> now, I've said, I've said this everywhere. I said this at the Amen conference a month or so ago with all those wonderful medical practitioners of all sorts. I, I, they, they brought this fisherman in to talk to all these medical people. 
And I, I said, hey, you, I said, I'll, I, told, I looked at my, yeah, he was to the left. I said, brother, I said, I'll write the check right now. You guys just said what you need for amen to get ready to next, do your next clinic in, in Phoenix. I said, I, I'll contribute that money if you can show me where eight. I was sitting right there, Dr. Neil Nedley and the whole group. And, you know, New Start is, is, a, is a Weimar baby. You know, that, that's a Weimar thing. So I said, hey, Weimar guys. I said, show me anywhere. Eight. I said, you, you, yeah, y'all don't need my money, but, you know, I'll give it to you anyhow. Why do I make this point? When you limit something to eight, you might neglect the rest. And that could impact somebody's ability to be restored. I normally would put this on the slide. This is another reason why I don't like having my computer stuff in the back. If I had my computer next to me, I could go in it right now, choo, 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 and I'll pull it up right on the screen, but because, you know, the setup. But I want you to write this down. Write down Ministry Healing 127, and then I want you to write down Councils on Health, page 323. Okay? Ministry of Healing 127, Councils on Health, page 323. Okay, I want you to write those two down. Now, what's going to happen is when you research it, you are going to find super lightning fast quick, there's more than eight laws of health. All right? Ministry of Healing 127, Councils on Health 323. There is something called cleanliness. It's called a laws of health. It's called, it's called a law of health. Cleanliness. Cleanliness deals with your person. There's another law of health called clean, sweet premises. That deals with your property. Did you know that even dress is a law of health? How you dress. Now, you're not going to find that in the eight. So here's the problem. And all of this connects to what I'm talking about with purging. If we teach people Hey, you know, you need to be mindful of violating God's laws of health. Disease is an effort of nature to free the system from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. Therefore, in case of sickness, the cause should be ascertained. Unhealthful conditions should be changed. Wrong habits corrected. Then, then nature is to be assisted in her efforts to do two things, to expel impurities and reestablish right conditions in the system. Now watch this. If we use that beautiful, inspired definition for disease, then that means that we have to draw people to God's laws of health. Now, if we only show them eight and they are in harmony with the eight, but maybe they don't practice proper dress, we will miss that. When that could have been a potential solution to their sickness and disease. If we don't show them clean, sweet premises, and they live in a dirty house, again, that could be a problem. There's even a law of health called purity of life. That's different from trust in God. What I'm saying to you is that when somebody gets sick, they should go to the word, that they can let the word show them where they're going off or where they're going wrong. And then that word can counsel them and guide them so they can get back on right track. That's how Christ cleanses us. That's how he purges us. But if we limit ourselves to only looking for eight when God said, no, there's a whole lot more, 
we can be scratching our heads not understanding fully what's wrong. When God says, I laid it out in my blueprint. Seriously, I'm all for acronyms. Don't get me wrong. Nobody's a sinner if they use the term New Start. I'm not saying that. That's fine. You want to use New Start? Use it. Nobody's a sinner if you want to use God's plan. There's no sin in that either. But my thing is, is don't make that law. Please don't do that. We've been saying eight doctors for decades. I'm just trying to let you know there's more doctors. And they're ready for service. And we need to teach people the full gamut so that way they could understand. All of these doctors are right there in the Bible, and then they are magnified in the spirit of prophecy. So the key is, is that if I'm sick, then God says, all right, Dwayne, you fell sick. Now we need to go through the purging process. So what I want you to do is I want you to go to my word. And I want you to look in my word to see where things off. Wherever you find yourself off, repent, and then I'm going to empower you to be brought back on track. And that's how God could say, now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. That's how the purging process works. So God will allow trials, he'll allow crisis, he'll allow all sorts of things to reveal what's in the heart. And then when we see what's in the heart, we go to the word and let the word counsel us and guide us that we might be cleansed from that filthiness. So please do not charge God with folly like I did when you go through a really tough trial. Please don't make the mistake of charging God with folly. Even through our trials, rightly received, it can work out for God's glory and for our best. Now, as God does this, he's going to manifest more fruit to the point that it will become just like the very character of Jesus. Let me show you some things about Christ. Go to the book of Acts chapter 10. Let's go to Acts the 10th chapter. I'm going to do a little scriptural comparison here. Acts, the 10th chapter. I want you to watch what the Bible says. Acts chapter 10. And let's consider verse 38. Acts, the 10th chapter, the 38th verse. Let's go ahead and see what the Bible says. And when you get there, just let me know by saying amen. All right. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the Bible says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with what else? Power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So notice, when Jesus was on this earth, he was anointed with the Holy Ghost, therefore he had what? Power. And as a result of having power, he was able to go about doing good and healing all manner of sickness and all these things of those who were oppressed of the devil. Amen. Well, let's now go ahead and consider Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, in like manner... Christ raised up the disciples to do the same. Matthew, we're looking at chapter 10 now, and I want you to notice what the Bible says in Matthew 10, and we're going to consider verse 1. Matthew, we're looking at chapter 10, and now we're going to consider verse 1. Now, when you get there, let me know by saying amen. All right? So now we're in Matthew chapter 10, and what does it say? And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, what did he give them? He gave them power. Notice that. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of 
disease. So notice the very same things, the very same things that Christ gave to the disciples was the very same things that he himself had when he walked on this earth. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He had power. He was able to do good, to heal all manners of suffering and those who were oppressed of the devil. When he raised up the disciples, he gave them the same power. He availed that power to them. But watch this. Go to Matthew 17. Did the disciples have power? Did he give them power? Sure he did. Matthew 17. It's always a terrible thing to preach after people finish eating. But watch what the Bible says. Stick with me. You're in a great controversy. Your brain needs blood to focus, but your belly needs blood to digest your food. So you got a great controversy going on in your body. And literally, the belly typically wins, and the sign of it is when your head starts going like this. You start falling asleep. We'll do the best we can to get through the controversy. All right, Matthew 17, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in Matthew 17, starting uh, at verse 14, well, yeah, verse 14, it says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he's a lunatic and sore vexed. For oftentimes he falleth into the fire and often to the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. That don't make any sense. Did not Jesus give them power to cure people who were oppressed of the devil? Didn't he give it to them? All right, so watch this, because this is an important lesson. Did they have power? They had it. The Bible says God gave it to them. They had it. So now, the disciples couldn't cure him, so let's find out why. It says in verse 17, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him thither um, to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now I like the disciples because at least they inquired of their failure. They go back to Jesus in verse 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? And what was the answer? Jesus says, you did not believe. So just because we've been given power, is it possible that we can cancel out that power? Yes. This is why you cannot afford to live off of yesterday's blessings. You cannot afford to live off of that exciting, exhilarating devotion you had two weeks ago. That excitement and that exhilarating experience that you had that day was God giving you power for that day. But you need that same experience the next day and the next day and the next day. I am serious, family. Please do not live off of yesterday's blessings. A lot of Christians make that mistake. They can remember when they used to be on fire for God, when they used to always study, 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 when they used to pray hard. You cannot live off of yesterday's religion, family. You got to renew all of the graces of God daily. Daily. Whatever power he gave you two weeks ago, that power is gone. You need to renew it daily. They did not do that. So as a result of that, when Jesus was there and they came in the presence of Jesus, oh, they believed. Jesus gave them power. They were able to do great things. But my brothers and sisters, by the time they go a little further in the story, now here it is, they run into a situation and they don't believe. 
Therefore, they had no power. You understand that? It's very important in this work. That's why what I showed you, when Jesus would go out in nature and commune with God, that was serious, family. Jesus understood, if I sin once, everything is ruined. So Christ had no time for laxness. You know how often we say, you know, I said I wouldn't eat any sugars, but since it's Thanksgiving, we will make an excuse to do things that we have already been convinced we should not do. That's not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ says once I know that it's wrong and once I make a covenant, there's no holiday that's going to make me change. Jesus says, I'm sticking to my covenant. So all I'm saying is, is whatever covenant you make with God, whatever they are, I don't know what it is. But whatever covenant you make with God, all I'm saying is to stick to your covenant. Do not allow yourself to take vacations from your covenants. Because have you noticed that once you take a vacation, it's hard to get off vacation? You ever notice that? Once you take that vacation, it's hard to get off vacation and get back to work. And so it becomes a problem. And so God is trying to help us understand. Stick to your covenant. So they were not believing, and it literally thwarted their ability to heal when healing was needed. You're getting ready to go into the field. You're getting ready to go into battle. If you read Ministry of Healing very carefully, especially if you start at page 135 and then read 135, read 136 and onward, you'll see at least three times that God makes it clear that it is the highest calling that God could place on a man. Highest calling that God could place on a person. Because when you're, when you're a medical missionary, you have to understand, do medical missionaries also, are we counseled to train through books? Are we counseled to train through books, through teachings, write things in books and provide it to the people? Sure we are. Mm -hmm. We are. How do you have Kellogg's first book in physiology? How do you have all these various books by Dr. Kellogg, who was an absolutely phenomenal medical missionary in the days of our pioneers? He was able to take the gifts of God and he was able to jot it down so that it, it could become an educational tool to others. The medical missionary in the truest sense has canvassing experience. But the medical missionary, in the truest sense, also has gospel worker experience. You understand that? Go to Luke 9. Look at how God spells it out here. It's very beautiful. It goes hand in hand. Look at Luke, the ninth chapter. Watch how God spells it out. In Luke, the ninth chapter, notice what the Bible says as we consider verses 1 and 2. Look at it carefully. Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them what? Power and authority over most devils, all devils, and to do what else? Cure diseases. And he sent them to do what else? Preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So notice that the true medical missionary understands the importance of the book work, and they will produce books as well. The true medical missionary also needs to understand the gospel, and they need to know how to give the gospel effectively. And the true medical missionary also knows how to deal with the mental and physical demands of the human system. So who do you think merits the greatest attacks from Satan and his kingdom? Gospel medical missionary evangelists. Because the Lord is using you. There are some people who do canvassing, and that's all they do. 
There's some people who do preaching and teaching, and that's all they do. But the medical missionary needs to understand the word of God. They need to also know how to get the books that have truth that can help people to understand how to take care of their physical frame. And they have to understand disease, its causes, ways to prevent it, and ways to cure it. It's a high calling. And as a result of this incredibly high calling, it merits the greatest wrath from Satan. So if there's anybody that I would say, please do not drop your guard, it is the medical missionary. I used to study martial arts. I was determined to be the best martial artist that this world has ever seen since Bruce Lee. I was really determined. I was, I was focused. I was very focused. I studied three disciplines. I studied Taekwondo, Korean. I studied Shotokan, Japanese. And I studied Capoeira, Brazilian. And when I studied all of these different forms of martial arts, I said, I'm going to blend these things. Because that's what, that's what Bruce Lee's style was, Jeet Kune Do. It was, the, it was the blending of several martial arts to create a discipline. And I wanted to do the same thing. And I remember that I would discipline myself so hard. I went to lots of tournaments, lots of tournaments, first place trophies all the time, all the time. I got a slim frame, but we learned all your energy is in your midsection. Once you learn how to move your hips a certain way, you can punch through a brick. And so I began to study that thing, study, study, study. And I remember I got to a point that I conditioned myself so strong that my teacher told me one day, he said, Dwayne, he said, would you like for me, he, he made an offer to me and some of my fellow students. He said, whoever wants to learn some of my secrets, come early in the morning. I want to see you 6 a.m. in front of the building. At that time in life, in my age, you know, we partied all night. I'm not an Adventist, by the way. I hope you get that. You know, so, I mean, I'm, I'm flat out, full-blown worldling. But nevertheless, he said, whoever shows up in the morning at 6 o'clock. So when you party all night, the last thing you want to do is get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to be somewhere. So 6 o'clock in the morning, my teacher comes to open up the school building, and there's about five of us that are right there waiting for him. He says, very good. I'll show you my secrets. He taught me something that he said, Dwayne, he says, I can show you people moving before they move. I said, what do you mean? He says that no matter how fast a man throws a punch or a kick, it'll look like slow motion to you. I said, really? You can teach me that? He said, yep. I said, all right, teach me. He taught me. And I would go to tournament after tournament, and no matter how fast that guy would throw that punch or that kick, to me, it looked like he was just moving in slow motion. And as soon as his body would just go like that, I'd be like, ah, and just be all over. <laughs> just be all over him. Done. Come home. Mom, got first place again. First place, first place. Well, here's what happened. When I began doing this, I remember I became so conditioned. I became so in tune with the observance of one's body that if your eyes were looking at me and all you did was just go down like that just for a second to look back up, when you went down and looked back up, you saw my heel already coming, boom, and it would hit your head. God educates me in the truth of his words, and he begins to show me that martial arts is not something that the children of the remnant should be a part of. I begin to study out martial arts from the perspective of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, and this is how God began to deliver me from this practice and these disciplines. But there was a lesson that God also gave. God said, Duane, now you're a human. You're a human, and you develop the ability 
that if a person took their eyes off of you just for a few seconds, you knew how to literally knock them out. And you're a human. God says, there are demonic angels that excel in strength. And they are far superior to humans. And all an angel needs is for the child of God to take their eyes off of Jesus just for a moment. You see, there was always a practical lesson of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. They took their eyes off of Jesus for a moment, and it took three days for them to find him. We were supposed to learn from that. When you take your eyes off of Jesus to entertain and to indulge in the practices of sin, lawlessness, ungodliness, unrighteousness, I'm talking about the R-rated, the PG-13, sometimes even the PGs, sometimes even the Gs are loaded with spiritualism. I'm talking about watching the sitcoms, the nakedness, the video games. I'm talking about the things that are very typical to distract. Oh, especially Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and the rest. It is so easy to see something that the voice of God will say you should not be looking at that. And we'll say, just give me a minute. And we will scroll, and we will scroll, and we will entertain, and our eyes are off of Jesus, and we don't understand that but for the grace of God, Satan could have thrown his hook kick and taken a lot of us down. As gospel medical missionary evangelists, being put in the position that we can do the most incredible work for the glory of God. We cannot take our eyes off of Jesus for a moment. You must become fixed on his glory. Again, you will see people that you admire that are not strict. You will see people that you admire that are not disciplined. You will see people that you admire that will literally behave in ways that are actually quite questionable when compared to scripture. That's why God says, take your eyes off of man. Because we're in the church, it is very militant, we are all seeking to let Christ perfect his character in us, but it takes time. And every man and every woman's walk is their own walk. But you can't let that impact you. The Apostle Paul said it best, follow me, only as I follow Christ. I know what I'm talking about. Sometimes when you meet people in present truth and, and you are so dazzled and mesmerized by their amazing deportment and preaching, teaching abilities and, and their apparent consecration, and we get so floored by that, but then one day we get to sit with them in a living room, in a kitchen, or we see them in the evening and we begin to see them do little creeping compromises like eating late. It could be something that simple. In class, you need to stop eating several hours before your bedtime because you need to go to bed on an empty stomach. Didn't you learn that in class? Y'all learned that in class. So here it is. You learned that in class, and you're like, I know. That's the truth. So we need to make sure that we empty stomach by time is bedtime. Now, what time is bedtime? Bedtime's probably what, 8.30, 9 o'clock? Okay? So let's say it's 9 o'clock. If bedtime is 9 o'clock, then that means that if I ate a full meal, I need to be done with that meal by 4 o'clock at the very latest. 
so I can let those five hours go by that by the time 9 o'clock comes, stomach's empty and I can go to bed. But what happens? Sometimes the very people teaching, I'm not saying that has happened here. What I'm saying is, is this happens in this work. The very same people that taught those lessons and impressed upon your heart the necessity of keeping the laws of health, sometimes those are the very same people that you will see, yeah, you know, and they're chewing and cracking and smacking and doing all sorts of stuff, and, and you're just like, what's going on here? You're eating late, and you don't understand. The Bible teaches a very important principle. Go to Luke 16. Don't forget this principle. This principle is imperative. Luke 16. Oh, my brothers and sisters, do not forget this principle, please. Luke 16. God is getting ready to demonstrate some power. Watch this. Luke, we're looking at chapter what? All right, Luke 16. Watch what the Bible says. Luke 16, right there, verse 10. What does the Bible say? Luke 16, 10. It says, he that is faithful in that which is what? Least. What is the, what is the predicting future of that individual? They shall be faithful in much. But then it says, but he who is unjust in the, is unjust in much. Little flames start forest fires. You ever heard that phrase? It's those little flames that can start a forest fire. Forest fire. It's the little compromises that prepares us for the larger compromises. Anna White used the term like this in volume five of the testimonies, page 81. She said, the time is not far distant when the test will come to every soul. She says, the mark of the beast will be urged upon us. Now watch this next point. And those who have step by step yielded to worldly demands and have conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than suffer derision, threatened imprisonment, and death. You understand what that just said? The step-by-step -step decisions we're making now, even in the little things, is either preparing us for the seal of God or the mark of the beast. So God says, I want you to be faithful in that which is least. Be faithful. When everybody else compromises and does crazy stuff, you be faithful. You don't have to go around, start rebuking and turning tables over. You hypocrites. Da, da, da. You don't, no, you don't have to do that. God will take care of a lot of those things. And maybe he will call you one day to address things on a more public forum. But at first, when everybody else compromises, you just, all right, as for me and my house, we're going to do what the Lord says. Somebody says, oh, come on, man, it's just a little bit of food or whatever. Listen, he who's faithful in that which is least will be faithful also in much. But if we're unjust in the least, we're destined to be unjust also in the larger things. Just want to be faithful in the little things. You will find that God will bless your faithfulness, and again, people will be able to eat from that fruit. Amen? Now, you have an incredibly high calling. God wants you to bear much fruit. Yes, there are times we will go through trial, tribulation, we'll suffer losses, we'll go through a lot. But in the end of it, God says, if you hang in there, and I promise you, family, I am preaching this to you as much as I'm preaching this to me. It's like we have to hang in there. 
There are times we get discouraged. You don't understand. Every time I inhale, how would you check your pulse right now if I needed you to check your pulse? What would you do? What would you do to check your pulse right now? What would you do? You would go ahead and check your pulse here, neck, behind the ear. Or if you're really technologically savvy, you'll just say, oh, Apple Watch. <laughs> and you'll check your heartbeat, right? All right, now here's my point. You know how I check my heart rate? I go like this. And I could literally feel one, two, three, four, five, six. I could feel my heartbeat just from inhaling. It's a residual from my open heart surgery. When they cut open your pericardium, often they leave the pericardium open. The pericardium is like a buffer so that when your heart is beating and all those things, you know, it's a buffer. It kind of holds in and cushions all that. But when it's open like that, just inhaling, you could, just, you could literally feel your heart. Do you know how annoying that is? That is absolutely annoying. And do you know what it used to be for me? Very concerning, because I wasn't used to that. So I was like, man, is my heart OK? You know, and I started having all these thoughts in my head and stuff like that. Very annoying. And I started thinking about it. I said, well, you know, maybe the Lord's allowing this little residual to just be that reminder to me, like God allowed some residual with Paul's eyesight. It was just a way to remind him of the experiences he went through and says, I'm just leaving it there to often remind you to keep coming to me. Never stop coming to me. Don't get laxed. I don't know what residual you need in your life to remind you of where God brought you from. But what I'm telling you is that God wants to prepare you and I to demonstrate some serious power. He's getting us ready to go through that time of trouble, and he's getting us ready to help a lot of people go through it as well. I want to show you something in Christian history that I want to ask you a question. And let's go ahead and let's take a look. I want you to watch some of these uh, slides. Let me put some of these slides up real quick. We went through this last night. We talked about the revelation, the revealing. We have to reveal the man of sin. We have to reveal, you know, the righteousness of God encased in the gospel. But now I want you to take a look at this here. Nope. Yes. Some of the benefits of medical missionary work. Much of the what? Prejudice that prevents the truth of the third angel's message from reaching the hearts of the people might be removed if more attention were given to health reform. When people become interested in this subject, the way is often prepared for the entrance of other truths. If they see that we are intelligent with regard to health, they will be more ready to believe that we are sound in Bible doctrine. Okay? That's one of the great reasons we do health reform. A lot of prejudice right now. Again, if we stand for certain truths, there are times where people are going to hate us, not going to like us. We are neither Republican or Democrats. Amen? We don't choose any of these earthly political parties part of the party of heaven. I go by its government. I'm not a rebel here on earth. I will obey the laws of land as long as they're in harmony with the laws of God. Romans 13 teaches us that. So that's not an issue for me. But we have to understand that when people ask you, Demo Democrat, Republican, or if they say LGBT or non-LGBT, or if they say, hey, what do you think about sports and so on? And we constantly are just like, no, 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 don't do that. Nope, nope. 
I said, you guys are weird. You, you're very different. You, what's wrong with you? And they'll have problems with our biblical beliefs, but a lot of that prejudice will be crushed when we help their children get well. All that stuff will be done. I remember Maimon Wilson, he told me a story about how he went to a Muslim's house, and they came, he came to a Muslim's house, and they said, listen, because of the sect of Islam that we're in, we cannot allow you as Christians to come into our home. They're there to help take care of their son. But they said, we can't let you stay in our house to help our son. So we prepared a barn for you and your wife. Our horses will be under you, and we made a little area for you to sleep in the barn above. Now, you know what some of us would do in our humanity. So you call me to come help you. Your son is sick. My son's not sick. I'm here to help you, and you're going to put me in a barn? Because of your religious dogmas? How about you help get your son fixed up by yourself? There's some people that might have such an attitude. I pray that that would not exist here. Well, Brother Wilson says, all right, I'm not going to do that. So he goes and he stays in the barn, him and his wife. Works on that son. Works on the son. I mean, I watched the video. Works on his son. Works on his son. Gets all that impaction that was in his colon, gets it out. Eventually, does some treatments on the young man. The young man is healed. He's well. He and his wife say, okay, your son is better now. We're going to go ahead and retire for the night, and we'll be taking off in the morning to head back home. They start walking back towards the barn, and they hear a voice saying, wait, wait. It's the father. They go back to the father. Yes, what's wrong? The father said, listen, you have done for us what no other doctor would have done. You have brought our son back and given us our son. They said, you will not be sleeping in the barn tonight. You will be sleeping in our house. Not only will you sleep in our house, you will be sleeping in our bedroom. The walls of prejudice were broken because they were the agents in God's hand to bring healing to their son. This is what God says we have the privilege of being participants with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Continuing, Christ's example must be followed by those who claim to be his children. Relieve the physical necessities of your fellow men and their gratitude will break down the barriers and enable you to reach their hearts. Consider this matter earnestly. We are told, I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. God has made it clear. It's going to be the last work. It's going to be the means to an end. It's how the everlasting gospel in its final phase of it being given will be given to others. And so this is an incredible work that we have embraced. And now I want you to go to the book of Acts chapter 3, and I want you to watch this. Let's talk about that early reign power. And I want you to watch this. Let's talk about this early reign power and watch it carefully. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 3, I want you to go ahead and consider verses 6 to 8. Acts chapter 3, verses 6 to 8. And I want to ask, let me see if I can do this. Can we get this powered on? Is that all right? Can we do that? 
All right? I'm going to ask some of the students if you don't mind reading some of these passages for us. Is that okay? All right. So I'm just sticking my hand out. Somebody take it. Okay. Very good. So let's look at this. Acts 3, 6 to 8. Let's go ahead. Acts 3, 6 through 8. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I have give such as, uh, I have. such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength and he leaping up leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God to eight? Right? That was it, to eight. Okay. Now, next reader, 12 and 13. Same book, same chapter. You can hand it to your neighbor. Verses 12 and 13. It says, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, had glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. Daniel, verse 19. It says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When All right, very good. Don't forget this story. Go to Acts 9 now. I'm going to ask you a question after a couple of readings. I'm going to ask you a question. Acts 9. 33 and 34. Next reader, anywhere in the group? Acts 9, 33 and 34. And there he found a certain man named Ananias, which he which had oh Aeneas, sorry, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and take thy bed. And he arose immediately. Amen. Very good. Acts 5, 12 through 16. Our last verse on this. Acts 5, 12 through 16. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them. And believers, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Now, tell me some things you observed in these different accounts. You have the story of the man at the gate, beautiful. You have this other gentleman, Ananias. And then, of course, you have... A ton of people being healed in Acts 5, 12 through 16. What are some things that leaps out to you when you read these verses? Talk to me. What is it that leaps out to you? What is it that speaks to you? You're a gospel medical missionary evangelist. You're getting ready to be deployed into the field. What are some things that speaks to your heart from these readings? Say again. It's about the healing. All right, so... 
some of the things are very evident. So obviously, there was a lot of healing being done. People were healed. They weren't merely treated. They were healed. Go ahead. Okay, very good observation. People were healed. As a result of the healing, other people were drawn to hear the gospel. Okay, that's beautiful too. Do you believe that that's going to happen today? Do you believe that people are going to be healed today? Okay, do you believe that people are going to be drawn as a result of the healing that would take place today? Okay, did this happen under early rain power or latter rain power? So this was early rain. Are we in the time of early rain? We're not in the time of the early rain? Are we in a time where God's pouring out his early rain? But we're also in a time where God is preparing to pour out his latter rain. But are we in a time where God is pouring out his early rain? Can you get latter rain without early rain? All right, so under the early rain, we saw that people were being healed. So is the early rain available to us today? So should we expect to see people healed? All right, as a result of the people being healed, did many others come to hear and receive the gospel as a result of the healing? Was that under the early rain? Good. Anything else did you observe? I'm going to tell you something I observed. It's not often caught, but it's beautiful. Because there's a glorious, or shall I say, a grand opportunity that is set before us. Anything else that you observed in those stories? Even their shadow. They were all full of the Holy Spirit. This is true. This is true. This is true. Anything else? Huh? They were definitely in one accord. Give me two more suggestions. Nobody hit what I saw yet, but you're hitting very good things. Say again. It was done miraculously. Aha. So some things may not be done just merely via following ABC laws of health. We know that that's going to be done for sure. But we also see that miraculous healing can still be done. Amen. All right. Anything else? Say again. The people were hungering for the truth. Fantastic. Very good answers. Did all of this happen under early reign? Are we in a time where we're receiving the early rain now? So should we be able to see these things happening now? Now, can I show you something that I saw? This is going to be interesting. It caught me good, and it made me dig deeper. Did you notice that in Acts 3, in Acts 9, and in Acts 5, there is something in each of these healing works that was done that we don't often see in medical missionary work today. Often see it. You know what it was? In which one of these accounts did they pray and ask if it be God's will that these people would be restored? In Acts 3, in Acts 9, and in Acts 5, in any of those accounts under the early reign, where do we see an example that they prayed before they did their healing work and they were praying and asking God if it would be his will that these people would be restored? You see that anywhere in those, in those accounts? Okay. The reason why I ask this is because there was a statement that I was reading in Desire of Ages 668. 
It says, all true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, here's the part that got my attention. And if we consent, he, Christ, will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims. He will so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. Simply meaning, the heart can become so united with God that when we're living out and acting out his will, it is as if we were living out and acting out our own impulses. That's how close we can get to him. How did Peter... You see, when somebody comes to Wildwood, Uchi Pines, Meat Ministry, and many other uh, organizations, we often, Father, if it be your will, we're asking that you would restore John, Bob, Mary, or so on, back to health. But if not, then give them grace to be sustained in their sufferings. Is that a bad prayer? No, we are specifically counseled to do that in the chapter prayer for the sick in ministry of healing. But there are times, there are times after the Sunday law, it's not early rain. It's latter rain. I'm with you. I thought those same thoughts. I said, all of that is post-Sunday law, latter rain. But wait a minute. This is early rain. So all I'm saying is, is that we're not being biblically accurate if we say everything else that the early rain demonstrated can be done, but when it comes to this, that can only be done after the Sunday law. We have to substantiate that. Say again. Okay. We need a verse for that. That's all I'm saying. Because what we're being shown is that these things happen under early rain. And that's why I specifically said, did this happen under early rain? Yes. Can that happen now? Yes. Did this happen under early rain? Yes. Can that happen now? Yes. Did this happen under early rain? Yes. Can that happen now? No. Okay, we need, we need somehow to let the word of God guide us on that part. Okay, well, again, right now, that's man's word. What we need is we need God's word. God's word is what we fear. Man's word, we don't. So all I'm saying is, is, until we get God's word, there's nothing to fear. All right? So give us the word, and then we can go ahead and stand corrected. So watch this. The point is, the disciples were so united with God that there were times. Now, did the apostle Paul, under early reign, pray? And then God would heal. Yes. Did Peter, when he went to visit Dorcas, under the early rain, did Peter pray first? Yes. Then Dorcas was healed. You understand that? So we see prayer, according to God's will, healed. But there were times they didn't pray. They literally said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and start walking. Peter knew God wanted to heal that man at the gate beautiful. 
what I'm trying to make clear to us is that when you and I get that communion with God that we talked about earlier, when our minds and our hearts unite with Christ, we can be so unified with him that while the majority of our times, Lord, if it be your will, let this or let that happen to the other. But there are times that Desire of Ages 668 says God will speak his mysteries to us personally and God will let you know this is the message I want you to give to this soul. Your sickness is not unto death. And that happens under early rain. That is not just reserved for latter rain and there's no Bible spirit of prophecy proof that says otherwise. There's no spirit of prophecy proof that says it otherwise, or Bible verse. Say again, my brother. Now, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Yes, sir, but that doesn't say what we're being said right now. We'll talk afterwards. Is that all right? What I'm saying is, is that God has reserved, even in early rain power, that you and I can be so united with him that he will make known his will to us on special occasions or special cases that we can communicate to others, this is not unto death, God is going to restore you. This is why I emphasize our union with Christ. We cannot live off of yesterday's blessings. We have to have a daily communion with our master. We must have a union between his mind and our mind because God is prepared to do great things in us and through us for his glory. Now, earlier today, I made it known to you, for God to do these type of works, we must have that power from heaven, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit. But I want you to listen carefully to this quote. To this quote. In order to be purified and to remain pure, Seventh-day Adventists must have the Holy Spirit where? And the Lord has given me light that when the Israel of today humble themselves before him and cleanse the soul temple from all defilement, he will hear their prayers in behalf of the sick and will bless in the use of his remedies for disease. When in faith, the human agent does all he can to combat disease using the simple methods of treatment that God has provided, his efforts will be blessed of God. Spirit of God in our hearts, spirit of God in our homes is essential in the healing work. And this is why I bring us back to this one closing point. If we are truly going to be used of God, we must make sure that our hearts and our homes are places that angels will love to dwell. That the Spirit of God can have his way in us and through us for his glory. We will go down the path of the use of, of course, various simple agencies, 
God has not negated that. That has its work. But as we see recorded in Scripture, there are special times, special cases that God is going to communicate to the mind, this is my will. This is what I want. Go ahead and express my will, even to those who are ailing. And my brothers and sisters, for us to receive such an endowment of God's spirit, how could this come except it be by thorough, deep, consistent communion with God? My encouragement to each and every one of you is please put forth the effort to remember every morning, go out and get your manna. Get your jacket on, put your leggings on, get your boots out, do what you got to do. But you make sure that you find yourself a place in nature. Have your communion with God. Begin to learn of him. Begin to study his words. You pray and you speak to him. He speaks back to you through his words of inspiration. And you will find that your heart will be more devoted to him. Time shall come. Just like somebody said unto me. I had a lot of people call me and, Lord, if it be your will, Brother Lemon makes it, Brother Lemon doesn't. Whatever your will is. And that's not a bad prayer. But there was somebody who had a bit of a sweet, evident communion with God. They said something where they said, this is not unto death. The Lord's going to help more fruit come out of this. And I said, how did you know that? They said, well, you know, Isaiah 668 tells us that the Lord can even speak his mysteries to us personally. Do you believe that? Twelve months later. Twelve months later. So I really want to thank God for what he's seeking to do with each and every one of us. My hope and my prayer is that we will be in the place that we can hear him speak and learn how to hush the voice of men and receive the words of our living God. And as gospel medical missionary evangelist, may the Lord use you mightily for his name's honor and glory. If it's your heart's desire to make sure that God, that you can be in the place where the Lord will be able to pour out his spirit upon you, first through early, and then through latter, that we indeed would be recipients of his power to not only preach the word, but also to cure all diseases by having the Spirit of God in our hearts, but also in our homes. If you're willing to cooperate with God in this fashion, I invite you to stand to your feet with me. And I want to thank the Lord for each and every one of you that as God speaks to your heart and as you get ready to be deployed into the work, that the Lord will show you wondrous things out of his law. Let us all pray together and give the Lord thanks for what he has said to each and every one of us. Our loving Father, we thank you 
standing, Lord, because you need people to stand for you and your truth in these very last moments of earth's history. Father, I pray that you will bless each and every one of my brothers and my sisters, not only simply under the sound of my voice, but especially those who have completed their courses and are now preparing to go upon higher ground, some of them in deeper education, others going directly into the field. Pray that you might endow them with your spirit, that you might help them, that they might give you glory in all that they say and all that they do. Lord, I ask that a cooperation between humanity and divinity would take place in each of our hearts in such an unadulterated manner that by your grace, you'll be able to speak to us like you spoke to those disciples of old, even under the time of the early reign. I thank you, Father, that though this may seem impossible with man, we're grateful all things are possible with God. Keep us, Lord, we pray. Be with my dear brother, Father. Oh, in a time where we're pressing together for unity, how easy it is for the devil to have his way. Please, Father, help us even now to be men of peace rather than men of war. And I thank you that you have heard this prayer. I trust also that you have answered it. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.